Old Navy's Saturday Steal is back with the season's biggest one-day deal. 50% off all jeans, plus kids' tees and girls' tanks and leggings for just $3. One day only this Saturday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 8-5, excludes clearance jeans. $3 deal, select styles only. Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Christ 
Holy Convocation last week, a video that's gone viral, and um, we're going to uh, discuss that. But And at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking about ministry succession. How will your church survive the loss of a leader? It's a critical question. Everybody should be uh, – pastors, key uh, church personnel should be concerned about, uh, and we're going to – we're going to – Talk about that, but we always love to hear from you, love to uh, get your thoughts, whatever that may be. But as always, we like to open this show up with prayer, and uh, let's do that before we go any further. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for your loving kindness that uh, allows us to see us another day. We thank you as we transition from fall into a more winter-like weather, you're still the God who is in control. Keep us warm and safe. This is our prayer. Now let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, I want to leave it off with um, perhaps one of the most tragic stories uh, this week. And that, of course, is the death of Dr. Miles Monroe, his wife, and uh, several other Individuals, I think it was a total of nine individuals that they were who were traveling via plane from Nassau, Bahamas to Grand uh, Island, Bahamas, where they were killed tragically um, as they hit a crane and the plane plane uh, crashed and no one survived. It's a, a very, very sad tragedy. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Miles Monroe, Dr. Miles Monroe is probably one of the most premier uh Christian thinkers, uh pastors and uh motivators. He was he's an author, he was an author, he was a pastor, he was a um businessman, he was an entrepreneur. That's the same thing as business. <laughs> uh and he was a life coach to many, many, many people. Uh I was personally impacted by him through his books and having met him and heard him speak on a number of occasions. I've always been fascinated with this man and his integrity that accompanied his ministry. And unlike many other televangelists, he didn't really live the um the um extravagant life. He built he had accumulated wealth, he made no no whiff about that, but accumulating wealth he also taught others how to do so without taking and, and robbing the people and systemically disenfranchising the people. He was literally one of those preachers who was all about empowerment. And I have several of his books that I have that have been a tremendous, tremendous blessing to me. And um, even now, as I'm, I'm remembering uh, one of the first times I got to hear him as a ch- as a teenager, how I was just amazed, first of all, by his accent, <laughs> but I was amazed at the fact that this man was not just serious about what he did, but he was also sincere. The uh, first time I ever saw him was at a Oral Roberts University alumni gathering, and he spoke and addressed um, that 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 meeting because he, gradu- he was a graduate of the Oral Roberts University. I believe he may even have sat on sat on the board of regents for that university. But anyway, he's a distinguished alumni, and a, um, he was one who 
made no qualms about his purpose. He knew that his purpose was about empowering and enabling others to fulfill their purpose. And he did so with a zeal and a zest that can only be Miles Monroe. Every time I, I watch this broadcast and I see him on various broadcasts, and he always, one thing I liked, he always smiled whenever he was teaching. He had this unique smile, and I'm talking about him like I really knew him personally. I'm just talking. <laughs> but he had a sincere a sincerity that um that was apparent even just from hearing and watching him you could tell that he was all about what he meant, what he he did uh i got a clip that i'm going to play that he he um filmed just weeks before his passing and in this clip, talks about death, and he talks about dying, and he talks about how the grave robs so many people. The grave robs the world, and that we ought to learn how to rob the grave instead of the grave robbing the world. Uh, this was filmed in Kenya, uh, Africa. I forgot what city. Um but as uh you can go to YouTube and you'll find the clip and it's an amazing it's a very powerful message about giving out until you've given all and I think that's an amazing message of hope and faith for everyone this transcends and that's the other thing about Dr. Miles Monroe he transcended Christianism you know he he spoke to Fortune 500 companies Fortune 100 Fortune 50 companies he spoke with leaders of governments. He had access to kings and queens. And, you know, these were not just chum. You know, he, he wasn't one of those pastors who who had a mega church and thought he was the boss. No, he had a community of believers that he shared his whole life and ministry with. He was not confined to the Christian uh, faith. And he, he addressed things that are pertinent to humanity. and this clip is one of those things that he addressed that is very pertinent to humanity. Giving out before you die. And then that's when you know you're ready to. So I'm going to play this clip. Uh, and I want you to listen to it and, and soak in what he's saying here. And it's almost four minutes long. It's a lengthy clip. But uh, if you bear with it and listen to what he's saying, you I promise you take away a lot so much that you could chew on just from this clip. Here's Dr. Miles Monroe talking on uh, about death and dying. And that's why I really came to Kenya. I came to Kenya because of the cemetery, uh, because I knew that sitting in your house right there where you are and sitting in this studio are people who are the next candidate to add to the wealth of the cemetery. You wrote one book. There's ten left. If you died now, the cemetery robbed us. I came to Kenya because I want you to rob the cemetery. I want you to die empty. I want you to die with nothing else left to do. I want you to die because you poured out all of your dreams, ideas, visions, books, music, inventions, publications, that you died empty. That's the goal of life. Don't die old. 
die empty. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest statements I ever heard about dying is this statement. I think it's a beautiful statement of dying. It says, it is finished. Hmm. Three words. The guy who said that was only 33 years old. It is finished. He didn't say, I was finished. Because we don't die. We are eternal spirits. He says, it is finished. I poured out what I came to earth to pour out. Was that the guy on the cross? That's the guy on the cross. All right. Therefore, I remember these things. My goal in life is to help everybody die empty. That's why I come to meet you, Jeff. You wrote a book. I love your book. But I'm thinking, what about the next one that's not released yet? No, there's no sequel. Or the other five. Doc, there's no sequel. Or the other ten. I have no energy. I'm sure it's there. There's no way a man with your story could not have ten stories. Huh. Don't die with my books. <laughs> <laughs> I could, so I, could I want to challenge every Kenyan. Yes. Go to the cemetery and disappoint the graveyard. Mm. Die like the Apostle Paul who said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have been poured out like a drink offering. There's nothing left. I am ready to die. That's the way I want to die. I want to die because there's nothing else to keep me alive. I've done what I was born to do. This to me is the greatest act of service to humanity. To deliver to us what you came to give us. You're doing a good job, but there's more. I believe that what you're dreaming is bigger than what you're doing right now. I believe you see your own network that you own. I believe that you have your own studios. I believe I see you producing shows that are syndicated all over the world. You deserve to be heard. Preach, Dr. Preach. Why sell for Kenya when you can have the continent? Hello. You are talented, gifted, you're powerful. You should be publishing a magazine. You should be producing all kinds of t-shirts with your shirt with your name on it. You should be starting maybe a, a line of clothing with your name on it. This is an image we need to see, feel, touch. Hey, don't die with this stuff, okay? <laughs> and that goes for each one of you watching this program. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're a politician. Maybe you're a baker, mechanic, a teacher in a classroom. Maybe you are a student. Maybe you're unemployed. Listen, your future is not ahead of you. It's on the inside. Decide tonight to germinate your seed, get the right people around you, buy some good books, shut the TV off, accept this show, and feed yourself the right information to germinate your dream. And when you die, die like I'm planning to die. Empty. Wow. I, I mean, just listening to that, I, 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 you know, it's one. It's a rare occasion for me to be speechless. But I've, as many times as I've heard this clip, it still, it still moves me, because I realize that you know, <laughs> I was listening to him talk to that man, but at the same time, I'm hearing him speak to me because, I've, I, you know, I, I caught myself starting to settle, uh, with the few accomplishments that I had done. I've been working on a book a couple of books now for the past at least a year. Uh, one particular book in particular uh, one particular book I have literally been struggling and it's been a pain to write and it's been a pain to research and I, I was about to quit and, and and I'm like, no, I can't quit because this needs to get out. Even with this show, there have been moments that I was like, why am I doing this show? You know, I don't have 
a hundred I don't have thousands of listeners. What 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 is it? But then I realized it's 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 not what it is now, it's what it will be. If I quit now then what will be would never happen. And and uh I you I, you'd be surprised how many people give up and quit because of what they see now. Instead of trying to delay gratification, delay and endure suffering and endure whatever it may be experiencing for the then. Now it's temporary, then may be more than temporary. As a matter of fact, it could be greater and eternal. It could be long. And the other thing is, he, he talked about germinating the seed. Zira, I use this. I've been using Zira for almost 20 years. And the Lord impressed upon me this particular word, zira, because it's seed in the Hebrew. It means seed. And, yes, it does. It, it implies germinating. It implies a whole lot of things. But the whole point is that the seed goes forth first, and then the growth happens. But uh, uh, Jesus himself said even even the seed has to be dropped in the ground and has to burst through. And, and, and so you may not see the 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 fruit of the seed you may not see the tree from the seed but you know that it all came from the seed it got to be germinated somehow and i may never see the full breath of what i've done even in these short years that i've lived and i've done quite a bit even sometimes i reflect and i realize my wow what i've done the persons i've got the chance to meet to interview uh to share and impart into and to preach to uh, to minister, to teach, to, uh, it's, you know, I know I could be content to go home now, but I know there's a lot more, and I reflect this, and then I, I have to move on to, uh, uh, I reflect on it, in 2012, when I was on my way to Nashville, Tennessee for a meeting, and I lost control of my vehicle, because uh, of Variety of incident, you know, I blacked out, ran off the road, ran head on into a tree, and I walked away. I walked away without just a few scratches and, and a, a couple of uh, uh, contusions and a bruise, I think a bruised rib or so, but I walked away. I walked away. Not only did I walk away with my life, I walked away with uh, a sense of purpose. Because just a few weeks later, I heard of another incident very similar to mine. One person, one one vehicle accident, but that person did not walk away. That person, that life was gone. Taking on the initiative that I don't want to waste my life. And Dr. Miles Monroe did not waste his life. Numbers of, I mean, at least 20 books, probably more. Dozens of uh, of life changing moments that he's uh, he's cataloged hundreds of life changing moments that he's cataloged millions of persons that he's impacted even those who were not believers particularly in the Christian faith share in lamenting the loss of this great man. Humanity has lost someone great. The Christian church has lost someone great. But the reality is he 
followed his own advice. He had poured out himself. He had emptied himself. So now that he's gone, even though he's gone, and he was supposed to be here in the States in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, later this week. I think it's tomorrow he was supposed to be in Charlotte. But the Lord saw fit for him not to be. And yet here we are honoring this man, and millions of persons will be honored. The government in Bahama, the Bahamas will be honoring him. The queen and royalty will be honoring him from various continents, will be recognizing this man because of what he did. And how he emptied himself and his wife. And their children are alive and their children will carry on the legacy. And he still has a church and the church will carry on his legacy. Uh, And those of us who will continue to feed off what he left will continue his legacy. So uh, to my audience, pray for uh, the Monroe family, uh, the... um, church ministry there in the Bahamas, Bahamas Faith Ministries International, and uh, all those who were near and dear to him that it will be impacted by his loss. So I'm going to take a quick break and get myself together. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the folly that happened, uh, the folly and the fallout that had happened from this um, most recent Church of God in Christ uh, Holy Convocation last week, and um, the young man who who has gone viral across the internet. So it's going to be good fun. And then at the bottom hour, we'll be talking about church secession. How can you be prepared? We'll be back right after this. Bishop Julius McAllister Sr. and Mother Joan McAllister invite you to attend post-conference Holy Convocation and planning meetings for the 8th Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church on November 20th through the 22nd, 2014 at the Bonner Campbell Religious Institute Campus in Edwards, Mississippi. Come hear a powerful word from guest speaker Dr. Jeremiah Wright Sr., anointed singing from the post-convocation choir, and much, much more. Come ready to be blessed. You don't want to miss this. It's the post-conference convocation and planning meeting. Be there and be blessed. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. 
made our commitment to the Gulf, BP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. As part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome back to Zero Today again. I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and um, we are in the second segment here. And I'm glad that you joined us. You tuned in live. We appreciate you. For those who are not tuned in, uh, again, we invite you to join and listen to all the archive shows going back as as far as you can want to go back to. Uh, the chat line is still acting up. Chat room is still acting up, so we we don't have that up and running. But you can get your thoughts uh, in if you want to by three four calling three four seven two three seven five two three zero. There is a fly flying around my head. It's just annoying. Don't you guys hate that? I'm swapping at the fly trying to. <laughs> Golly, it's crazy. Anyway, if you want to get your thoughts in the air. On the air, 347-237-5230. That's the number you need to call to do that. And uh, we'll be looking forward, listening for you. Um, and uh, you can also get your comments in. Go to the Facebook page, Zeroid Network, on Facebook.com. And you can share information, uh, share your comments about this show, any other show you want to. Send me an email, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. And follow me on Twitter, at Prophesy. P R O P H E P S I. Yeah, so uh, uh, before I get into the second segment, um, this past weekend was my alma mater, my college alma mater's uh, homecoming. And it was also my 15th class reunion. 
I didn't go. I I I wanted to go, but there was just circumstances that I wasn't able to to go. But I saw pictures, and I was man. I tell you, they had an alumni band, and I got to hear some of the clips, and I was ready. I wanted to pull my horn. I played trombone, and I was in the marching band. I was in the jazz band. I was in the orchestra, and you know, I I, I, I music was my thing. Well, uh, instrumental music <laughs> and choral music was my thing in college. Uh but I saw I saw some of my some of my guys from way back in the eighties and the nineties and I was like they still got it. And I was hey and they had the dancing girls, the what we called they're called the golden girls. They they were dancing and I was like, Woo, they still got it and I was just kinda jealous. Uh, I was jealous. I was that's I just that's just me. I just wish I had gone to let my hair down. But hey <laughs> But while that was going on uh, the Church of God in Christ was also holding their annual Holy Convocation. It was their 107th Holy Convocation, and if you've never been to a Church of God in Christ or a Koji Convocation, you 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 just miss it, man. That is the show of all shows. You will see some of the craziest people and some of the most unique people there, uh, from the bishops. And I have a great respect. I used to go to the convocation when it was in Memphis every year. As long as I mean, I mean, I, I we would make that trek when I was in high school, go up there, and for a few days, really for the midnight musical, because that's where all the gospel, you know, the gospel stars they show out. Uh, you go to Mason Temple, and then they had it at the Coliseum, and you know, it just be packed. Memphis was packed for that week. Not like the AME General Conference, you know. We the AME, we sophisticated. <laughs> we all handle business, you know. We carry on business, and we're on the floor presenting legislation and debating legislation, and then we squeeze in church services. <laughs> but the coaching man, they just sh- they shout for everything. You got a new pumpkin pie on sale in the Coliseum or wherever, they gonna shout, you know. <laughs> and there's several. There were several. Several things that happened, and I caught some some highlights. Some of my very good friends were there. Uh, one of my dear friends, and I consider him a big brother, was an adjutant there, and he was uh, part of the um, uh, uh, suffragists, I guess you call it. Uh, but it, he's an adjunct, whatever they. He he helps his bishop, and uh, but he was there, and he shared photographs of some great persons that he met, some preachers and gospel celebrities. So. Um, there was a lot going on. It was a lot. There's a picture that was floating around Facebook with this woman with this big, brimmed red hat. When I say it was big, I mean that hat had to be at least three feet <laughs> out. I'm, I'm serious. It was big. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll give it two feet. It was at least two feet wide on both sides, you know, in diameter. And... So she's sitting, and there's a picture where uh, someone was sitting behind her, and she was blocking. <laughs> you couldn't see anything. Then there's a picture where she was walking down the uh, one of the, uh, the hallways or whatever, and it was just it was just crazy. But hey, there was a hat show there. I saw a lot of hats. I saw a lot of hats. But I was what what made this hundred and seventh. Uh, convocation of the Church of God in Christ unique is two things. 
videos have gone viral of one particular event that happened on the Saturday evening session, uh, the day before the closing of the convention, uh, the convocation, where uh, Pastor A.C. Porter, I think that's his name. No, I mean, uh, not A.C. Porter. I'm thinking about Brandon Porter. Um, Carter, uh, uh, Carter out of Florida, was preaching. And what he was preaching um, was 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 kind of crazy. It was well, I won't say crazy. Um, it was it was radical. I mean, extremist. Uh, while addressing the fact that there are homosexuals in the church leading uh, leading the choirs, leading praise and worship, he used the word sissy. And he, you know, was calling out. You know, he was one of the. He was he he comes from this old school fire, hellstone, everything is sin, holiness, or, or hell kind of preaching. And you could tell that is reflected in in what he was saying. And some of his some of his sermon came across more as a rant against individuals, against people, than a word from God, a word of power and empowerment, liberation from the Lord, and um. I had the clip, and the clip wasn't loading, so I can't play clip. Uh, but just you can go on to YouTube, and I'm sure if you have uh, persons on Facebook, you, you'll find it uh, there, the clip uh, where he's calling uh, people sissies. Sissies in the, in, you know, whatever sense. And, of course, you know, I, I understand his message, and I understand what he was trying to convey but the anger, the rant, and, and the emotive fire behind it is what has brought a schism in the church. You know, that that's why there are a lot of people leaving the church because of messages like that. It doesn't come across as love. It doesn't come across as, you know, the God of love. And, of course, God is a God of love, and he's also a God of, um, how can I put it, you know, he also is a God of correction. Uh, and he doesn't need us to to carry out his vengeance message. If, if we believe what the writer writes in Hebrews, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay, then he doesn't need our help in carrying that out. Uh, he'll do it himself. Uh, and, of course, we have no heaven or hell to put anyone in. And as Paul writes in Romans um, 8, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and uh, 8 1. That's where it comes from. But again, I'm just—I've literally paraphrasing my quoting. I'm just um, leading up to—I'm trying to lead up to this, these viral videos that have gone on. So he preaches the message, and uh, of course, he's getting a lot of reaction. What would come across as positive reaction because people are responding. In the black preaching tradition, you say something, and people who agree with it are going to say, "Yay, Amen," whatever the crowd reacts, and that's how you know you preach. Oh, you preaching! You preaching, man. You preaching. Uh, so, in the latter part of the sermon, that is not, uh, you can find it on YouTube, but the one is not getting uh, of that service, where the invitation has been extended, an altar call has been given. You have Bishop, Bishop Brandon Porter uh, out of Memphis who is uh, doing the altar call and a young man comes forward, uh, 
and the young man, uh, I believe his name is Andrew um, Codwell. Andrew Codwell. And this young man is 21 years old, and he he has become a YouTube sensation in both a good and a bad way. And um, because of what he announced on the show, well, <laughs> I was so wrong. Oh, Lord, that was a Freudian slip <laughs> to show. Because of what he announced during his uh, during the appeal uh, at the altar, he said that he was gay. He was no longer gay. So I'm going to play this clip. And uh, the clip is actually about six minutes long, little six minutes. But uh, I reduced it down to just his commentary. And so it's only about a minute long. If you want to get the whole clip, simply go to YouTube, go to my um, uh, go to my, my page, and you'll find the, the entire clip there. And also, uh, if you want to get a follow-up on this clip after we after I share it, uh, you can go to my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, and you'll see a link to the HuffPost Live interview with uh, Bishop um, Brandon Porter and Mark Lamont Hill that kind of puts a little more clarity on this situation. But let's play this clip uh, about – from this young man, and I try I try not to lie, to uh, to laugh. Yeah, yeah. Here, here it is. What did you come here for? What did you come down here for? Tell me. To get delivered more. Get delivered. Do you believe that the Lord tonight has set you free? Yes, sir. Turn around and tell those people. Tell them. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I said I like women. Women, 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 women. I said women. I'm not gay. I would not date a man. I would not tear a purse. I would not put on makeup. I will. I will love a woman. Listen what? Y'all praise God with him. Hold on. Wait a minute. Hold just one minute. Now either you're going to believe this stuff or you ought to stop preaching it. If you can't praise God with him, you're an unbeliever. Now somebody believe God with him. Hey! All right, so that's the clip. That's the clip that has gone viral. And it's gone viral, not so much as as the fact that he's uh, there. There are those who are in the gay community saying that this is fraudulent, that no person can be delivered, and the man uh, has brought shame to himself because he was in an environment of coercion where he felt he had to react uh, to make himself feel free. And then there are those who just just laugh because he said. I'm not gay no more. I love men. I don't love men's. I love women's. And then at the last part you heard, he said, I will love our women's. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm trying not to laugh, but that part, that part, I'm going to play that one more time, and then I got a special treat for you. I'm, I'm going to play it one more time, okay? Just, what did you come here for? What did you come down here for? Tell me. To get delivered more. Get delivered. Do you believe that the Lord tonight has set you free? Yes, sir. Turn around and tell those people. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I said I like women. Women, 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 women. I said women. I'm not gay. I would not date a man. I would not tear up hurt. I would not put on makeup. I will. I will love a woman. Hey, more power to them. But, you know, there are people around the world who are so creative. There are people who, you know, they take things like this and, well, I'll just let you hear it. Here's the same guy with the same testimony to the gospel remix. (laughs) Listen to this. I'm not gay no more. I'm not gay no more. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I said I like women. I said I like women. Women, 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 women. I will love a woman. Am I wrong? Am I wrong for laughing at that? I'm sorry. That was hilarious. Now, it doesn't matter whether the young man was authentically delivered or not. Uh, that's irrelevant. Uh, what's relevant is the fact that this there are people out there who, well, there are just people who are just mean. And people who are mean have been spreading this video. And, and he didn't help himself. Because at the latter part, and I I didn't put this clip up, but at the latter part uh, of the video, Bishop Brandon invites the young man back up and asks the young man his name, tells him his name, tells him his age, and then he says he's he's in school, and he's in school to be a doctor. That's what he said. And that he has authored 14 books. He's the author of 14 books, and he's only 21. So, you know, hey, more power too, young man. We're we're praying. I'm praying for him. I'm really praying for him. I want him to to really, really be free. I really want him to and there are people who are talking about the, the suit and the jacket and, and bow tie and you know the phlegm pray for the young man. I know what it's like to be twenty one. He's twenty one years old now. And at twenty one you are you're still not sure about yourself, and you know maybe people are still wrestling with their idea of sexuality at that age. You know, it's you know it's a, it's a fluid thing, and maybe as he matures, he'll, he'll get a greater understanding of that. But anyway, uh, you know, some people have been very mean to this young man, and there are others who who've been trying to understand 
was it real or not? Was he just trying to get attention? What you know? And that's why I refer to the interview with uh, Brandon Porter and um, Malcolm Unhill on the HuffPost Live that was done earlier today. I caught it and I retweeted it. So you know my, you can go to my um, you if you my follow me on Twitter, you can you can see it live. You can see the video also. I I shared it on my Facebook page, so you should be able to see it on my Facebook page, and it adds a lot more clarity, not only to um, the context of both the sermon, that, uh, but also to the experience that this young man had, and the both videos are connected. They were, you know, they've been going around separately, but they are actually connected. It asks question, you know, it begs the question about um, so many things. That I wish I had time, and I probably will get into it. I I probably devote a whole show uh, to this idea of deliverance. What is it, or how do you know? Um, all kinds of things. That's 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 a whole other topic that I wish uh, we could talk about. But I I I'll, I'll get back at that later. Uh, in that time, let me take a little break. And when we come back on the break, we get into the last segment of the day. The last segment, we're going to be talking about church succession, leadership. What happens when a leader is lost? That's what we're going to be talking about the rest of the show. So tune in and buckle up. I hope you've been having a good ride because I have been having a good ride. And I'm going to send us out on take this leave the segment out with no giggle. I'm not gay no more. 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 I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I feel like women. Women, 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 women. I will love a woman. Hey, what are you doing today? I'm backing up the computer. Photos, work files, you name it. Lovely. See you in a few hours. Hmm. Did you get everything backed up? Took care of it. For just $59.99 a year, Carbonite backs up your irreplaceable files automatically, so you don't have to. Try it for free at Carbonite.com. I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com at Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum.
Bishop Julius McAllister Sr. and Mother Joan McAllister invite you to attend post-conference Holy Convocation and planning meeting for the 8th Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church on November 20th through the 22nd, 2014 at the Bonner Campbell Religious Institute Campus in Edwards, Mississippi. Come hear a powerful word from guest speaker Dr. Jeremiah Wright Sr., anointed singing from the post-convocation choir, and much, much more. Come ready to be blessed. You don't want to miss this. It's the post-conference convocation and planning meeting. Be there and be blessed. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University. Changing lives one student at a time. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, having a ball aboard, and I sure still swatting at this fly who is getting on my nerves. <laughs> Man, I tell you, I, I I just I don't know what's going on with this fly. I I just don't know. Uh, it's kind of yesterday we were at a funeral and we were at the cemetery, and there was a swarm of ladybugs, and I mean it was just everywhere. And we getting I mean. Once you swat one off, another one came on, about three or four of them on the suit, on my suit, all over my head. I'm like, well, you know, it was just interesting because they weren't anywhere near any other graveside. They were just at the one where we were burying our beloved member. And I was wondering, I said, hmm, maybe this is her. Just one of those weird things, coincidental things I just thought I'd share. But this fly is really working my nerves. Really, really working my nerves. Anyway, so 
Um, this bottom of the hour uh, is brought to you by Heatcentric. If you are not aware of Heatcentric, you ought to try Heatcentric candles, Heatcentric um, T-shirt, and the book "The Encounter" by Lady Jocelyn Sanders. You ought to go and visit her website, LadySanders.com, and get her book, The Encounter. And I tell you, I got these candles from Heatcentric, and they're beautiful. And the smell is what actually helps me stay focused. When I can't, I literally, I can't focus. I light the candle, and the candle, the smell from that candle is just, ah, whoo, it's great aromatherapy. So go check out uh, uh, LadySanders.com. Heatcentric products, they got candles, shirts, you name it, they got it. Ladies, you'll be blessed. Fellas, be a good Christmas gift. Hint, hint. So, as we get into this last segment, we're going to talk about church leadership secession. Now, you're probably wondering why would I talk about such a thing? Uh, Because, honestly, I have been involved in a lot of churches that have scattered after something happened to their primary leader. Um, For example, pastor dies, and the pastor has been there for a long time, and the pastor has never named a successor. And so when the pastor dies, uh, particularly in congregational churches, uh, power struggle where the Associates, if there's more than one, now battle to see who's going to be the main man or woman in some cases. Or if a pastor is fired, terminated, or resigns abruptly, and there is no secession uh, plan in place, it leaves a void of leadership that that sometimes is irreplaceable. Irreparable. And I, I talk about this because if you haven't been paying attention, uh, if you're unaware, uh, if you've been following the news this year, Pastor Mark, pastor of the Mars Hill Church in Seattle, uh, had 15 campuses across the nation, uh, and it roughly estimated about 14,000 members that attended the church mostly via satellite. And the way his church was set up, he had locations, and there was a local pastor there, and the local pastor had teaching duties during the week. But um, on Sunday, Pastor Driscoll would do this primary preaching via satellite. So every, you know, they had the screen, and they had, they would stream him from the main campus in Seattle on Sundays. Well, he has been going through a lot. He had gone through a lot of uh, issues. First, uh, the count of plagiarism against uh, himself that he plagiarized one of his last books. Secondly, came out that not only had he plagiarized, but he used church funds to pay for the publishing of that book uh, and did not disclose that to the leadership, immediate leadership, or to the church themselves. Uh, and he was making money from that. And then the biggest revelation is that was that he was a very mean dude. Uh, that he was uh, 
misogynistic and that he was rude toward some of his staffers and uh, had a bully-like attitude when it came to uh, leadership style. So all of that led to uh, disassociation of a church planning network that he started, uh, and then it led to the ultimate dissolution of his church, uh, where the active pastor and overseer of the church said, well, uh, this is the last year of this church, and each church can either become an independent, each local campus can either become an independent church or close its doors altogether. Now, that was a drastic solution to that situation. Um, and it it, 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 it it made me think, because I've been in a lot of churches, I've been in several churches where the pastor quit or the pastor left to start his own ministry and the church that was thriving died. We have an incident, several instances of that in uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church uh, where, you know, church leadership changes. And I, I talk about my own. Uh, being an itinerant elder, um, even though we have a ministry of secession because itinerants mean we'd be moved anywhere, anytime, and we, uh, you know, we we prepare for that every year. We may be at our church 20 years, but every year is a new year. <laughs> we're pastor only for one year. Uh, and oftentimes when a church is thriving and the pastor gets moved, a new pastor comes along, you it, 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 it always seems to happen that there's a brief moment in time where the congregation just seems to dissipate just a little because they don't, you know, they have to grow to trust a new pastor or they don't want to trust a new pastor. They want their old pastor back. And it's even harder when you're following someone who's been there for a, a long, uh, had a long tenure here at the church. I pastor, I followed a pastor who had been here for several years, I mean, uh, over a decade. And, you know, it was a lot of leadership adjusting uh, because, one, he was older and you get somebody who's younger, so you can understand the dynamic that worked within that. Also, uh, you have the, uh, in light of Dr. Um, Miles Monroe and his his death, he had a multi-international uh, ministry. And the question is, well, who is going to take who will be able to carry on that ministry? And I'm sure he probably trained plenty of people to do that. I'm sure that he uh, more than likely was able to have someone in place that understood his leadership style, that he mentored, and that he was able to get in. So if something did happen. But a lot of pastors don't have that in place. A lot of churches don't have that in church, particularly the very, very small family churches, those churches where grandmama started or granddaddy started. They were the preacher. They were the bishop. They were the founder. And they die. And, you know, they may have a son or daughter, but nobody really is able to fill their shoes. And what's happening is in a lot of these churches, what happens is they end up literally closing their doors shortly after the leader is gone. 
I think about how this impacts. Think about how this impacts the church community. If you have a pastor, for example, um, I think uh, let me put this in perspective here. This this fly is still getting on my nerves. Good Lord. Uh, recently, uh, last week we had there was a pastor in Memphis who was killed, and unfortunately, the dummies who killed him stole his car, took selfies in his car. And of course, they got caught here in Mississippi. But the church was not prepared for his loss. This was a man who had given up himself, and although he had staff and uh, associates who were, who could preach, the problem is they uh, they may not be able to share in his leadership style. You know, you had this man who was caring, this man who was not um, puffed up, this man who had a shepherd's heart, and then he may be followed by someone who wants the prestige of being the pastor and does not care for the souls of the church. And oftentimes that's what happens. There's a movie on, on Netflix <laughs> that I watched, and I want you. I, I recommend this movie. It's a good laugh. It has some stars in there. Um, uh, what's the guy played on Grey's Anatomy? The black guy, Isaiah something. I can't think of his name. Uh, he is in the movie. A uh, couple other uh, names, Clifton. I don't give me the line, but the name of the movie is The Under Shepherd. And the the premise of this movie, and I'm gonna tell you, but you still need to go and find it. It's on Netflix, and I watched it. I'll probably go home and watch it again. But anyway, the premise of the movie is that there are these two young preachers, and they've been at this church for some time, and their pastor is getting old, and and at the opening, you know, he gets a little excited, and he's he's unable to continue preaching, and so he yields the pulpit to these these two ambitious preachers, and you know, they just woo the crowd, but. One in particular woos the crowd. I mean, he he just captures their their fascination. So as the story progresses, uh, eventually uh, the pastor is removed for some reason, and this one of the young men, uh, both who have felt neglected, one decides to start his own church, and then the other becomes the interim pastor of the church that they were serving at. And of course he gets he gets all caught up in himself, and then the other one, you know, he's humble and his church ends up closing because he's financing it out of his pocket, uh, and you know the doors close. So they come back to the church, and this guy had become full of himself, and eventually he ends up falling to his because of his own scheming, but. The thing about it is, there are so many churches like that. There are so many churches that um, where you have those in wannabe positions of leadership who ill, they're ready to take over. When the pastor is miss, you know, has to miss a Sunday, they're ready to preach, and then from that preaching, they think that that's their church. You know, and then they get to be here and they want to run the church. 
or they start their own church just because they want to start their own church, and it creates a greater schism in that community of faith. Um, so I have, as I said before, I've been a part of ch- church splits. Okay, church splits are never fun. They're never they're never easy for the members and for the leadership. But what's worse about church splits? Is that it creates a greater void in in the church? Because, for example, if a church splits, the pastor starts his own church. He has people who are going to be loyal to him or her, and they'll follow the pastor. The other church has to struggle with a new identity because they have to create a new identity. They got to go and find a new pastor. They have to hope that pastor has, you know, enough. Of, of, of their value share, their value share, what their vision is, whatever, it is, or create one for them that they can grow and expand. There are very few churches that survive uh, healthy after a church split or after the loss of a leader. And that doesn't just apply. That just doesn't apply to to uh, pastors. And 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 in our church, we are because we are an Episcopal led church, which means. That we are governed by the administratively by our bishops, and because we are an itinerant Episcopal-led church, and as I said before, because we're moved around, we have to go to these churches where the lay leadership of of the church is strong and led by a, a singular individual. That individual. In our, in the case of uh, our our communion of faith, is president of the steward board, which is like the deacon board. You know, they're pro tem. They they they're the chair pro tem of the steward board. They run the church, been the chair for twenty thirty years, or they're uh, or they're president pro tem of the trustee board, and you know they hold these positions, and these two persons. Run the church because they they are the pastors of the church when the pastors are unavailable. You know, they function in that role. And because we get moved, they stay in that, you know, the people turn to them for for, for the leadership. So, so or maybe a non-position holding person in the church. They just got money and more influence. The, the sphere of influence is great. And that person dictates how the church functions, not the pastor. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. That y'all, y'all, if you ain't been in a church like that, I'm telling you, there is every church has somebody in it like that. And that you know, the pastor really ain't the pastor. <laughs> the pastor being told what to do by the real pastor. <laughs> Lord have mercy. But either way, so these persons, these are lay leadership. And they don't. They never train anybody to follow them. So when they die, nobody else know what to do. Nobody know how to carry on. Brother Johnson led this church. Brother Johnson was steward pro tem. You know, he kept being appointed by every pastor. Been there forty years in the same position, and every pastor never bothered to remove him, or when they had the chance to vote. Nobody wanted to run against him. <laughs> and so when Brother Johnson died, 
Nobody knew what to do. And when the pastor tried to take over and put the right person in who he or she felt was in it, you know, capable of carrying the job, well, the folk protested because that wasn't Brother Josh. You'll find that secession is really, really a a difficult topic. It's really it's really difficult about for small church leaders because one, if you have Let's say you have less than 100 members, 75 members, and you have four people in key personnel, you know, that you rely to. Those are your go-to persons. And one of those go-to persons are no longer able to function in that capacity. The The pastor then may become incapacitated. Because the it, it's hard, it's hard to do that. Um, why is it hard for pastors to address the idea of secession? It's hard because we don't want to think we don't want to think that we're not going to be there for a long time. I know a lot of pastors don't want to think about that, but the reality is we won't be there for a long time. I know it partially because I'm an itinerant in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. I know that I may not be at a church a long time. Every year I start plack, I start packing up stuff like as if I'm going to be moved. You know, I get to I, I get you know around late July, early August, I start simplifying my simplifying and compacting my life just in case the bishop says I'm moving you to another place you know I start getting ready I start like okay if I'm in my house I got 30 days to be out of my house uh and yeah I have you know I got to get adjusted to this I got to get adjusted to that and I I have started training my leaders at every church for the last, or the last three churches I've been at I've been training them to be ready, to be prepared once I'm gone so they can carry on. They may not, you know, the pastor may following me may have their own individual style. But if I'm organizing the church to function better administratively, then it's for the people to come and say, look, this is how we've been doing. It's been working. Can you work with us? And that has been that has been good. But here's here's some things I want. There's a resource. Uh, by Dr. Vil- William Vlander Mohan, Lohman, V-A-N-D-R, blow me in. <laughs> but he's the president of the Vander Blumen Search Group. And you can find this uh, him on VlanderViewman.com. I'm massacring that name. Forgive me, sir. But he has four secession planning trends for church leaders. And I want to share these four with you. First one. The first thing is you ought to secure the ongoing, outgoing pastor's new pastoral identity. And this is what he says. New senior, uh, outgoing senior pastors that have been serving at the church for, you know, decades. Uh, their, identif- their identity has been defined by the ministry in that particular location. And the responsibility that they have, uh, have, have created because of what their role has been as a pastor that long. So the hard thing for them is to 
transition out of that, both that mind, that responsibility, and that identity. So it has to, you know, they have to wrestle with the question, now who am I? Now, it's the same thing if a pastor dies. You know, if a pastor retires, that that's one thing. But if a pastor dies or quits, the church has to the church has to struggle with. Okay, now who are we? We know what our history may be, but who are we as a church? What kind of pastor do we want? What will be this identity? What kind of pastor would do we want? And you know, I've been in a lot of uh, of churches, and once this happens. The church has to decide what kind of church do we want to be. The new trend is missional churches, churches that are missional minded, that treat treat the local church as well as the local community as the mission field. And if churches want to say, well, we want to be a missional minded church, well, how can we find a pastor that can help us shape that identity? We want a young pastor. Do we want a middle-aged pastor? Do we want a pastor that is experienced? We don't want one too old, but we want. how can we determine what that experience is? Uh, smart churches are answering this question by finding a way to say, here is your identity after you leave. Let's start talking about it now before you leave. And that's a good thing to do. But there are other churches um, that for some churches it just means that ex- – it, Providing the pastor with extended paid vacations so that they can get not you know they can get used to being out of the limelight, get used to having other persons in their pulpit and things of that nature, um, and of course creating a policy for that. Um, secondly, he suggests that you establish financial security of both the ingoing and outcoming outgoing incoming and outgoing going pastor. Now. I saw this work wonderfully a few years ago with uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright and the Trinity United Church of Christ um, in Chicago, Illinois. Now, this is wonderful because Dr. Jeremiah Wright had been in the church for decades, and he helped shape the formative identity of that church as a church that was very vocal and active and engaged in community and social issues, as well as empowering people to develop a diverse spiritual identity. And as he's retiring, you know, if you follow Jeremiah Wright, uh, if you listen to his message, you can hear the liberation that came forth. You and he was he was really really repudiated by uh, the media as uh, when President Obama was running. Because some of his comments, um, and they were, you know, some were taken out of context, some were said in context, but <laughs> didn't get the, you know, you can't get a lot from a 30-second soundbite. But anyway, in the case of Dr. Jeremiah Wright, as he was transitioning from uh, to to retire, he brought in Dr. Otis Moss the third, and Otis Moss is his father's legendary. Uh, civil rights pastor and activist, but he pastored in Georgia, and and he hired him on as the senior pa- as the pastor, while jo- Dr. Jeremiah Wright hired him on as the pastor while he was still the senior pastor, and they had a wonderful collaborative uh, relationship where the outgoing pastor mentored the incoming pastor and helped them understand the flow and 
the the stream and the, the singularity of the ministry and, and help him create his identity as the incoming pastor while Reverend Wright was creating his identity as the outgoing emeritus pastor. And of course, as time went on, there were still some issues. It didn't you know, it didn't it didn't flow seamlessly because some people were still drawing on Dr. Wright as the pastor, but Dr. Moss fit in and he got in where he fit in, you know. He was able to attract a greater, you know, penetrate that hip hop because of that was his age group and he identified that, but he was also able because of the mentoring and because of the uh the security that was presented to the church by the church to both pastors. They were able to make a bridge to both generations, to all those generations. So have a financial plan in advance, you know, working it out. Now, that should be in every church by law. It should be somewhere. Just something happened to that pastor, be it termination, resignation, or death. The church should have something in writing, a policy in place that says how succession should be, particularly financially. You don't want the new pastor coming in demanding more money. And it's capable. And, and I've always, since I've pastored, since I've been pastoring, particularly in the AME church, I've always asked, okay, what was the previous pastor's salary? What was that package? As that's my, that's where I start. And then if I see that the church is capable of going, for, you know, doing more, then yes, we do that. But it's critical that I don't I don't I don't go in demanding this is what I want because I heard y'all could do it you know and then there are a lot of pastors who go in there and say I want this much money because I know you got the money no just because they have the money doesn't mean they want to waste the money on you <laughs> that's reality that's true uh, so. While, while you also develop that, that financial security for the incoming and outgoing pastor, make sure that the incoming pastor is aware of the church's identity. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's critical for the incoming pastor and the outgoing pastor to both have clarion vision, clarion, I, uh, a very clear idea of the church's identity so that the new pastor won't come in and try to change. I've the biggest thing that I have seen happen in all my years of ministry is when a new pastor comes in and tries to change the identity of a church. I was acquainted with one and served on his ministry team for some time, and this pastor really wanted to be a uh, wanted the church to go more toward a non-denominational, charismatic type of uh, vibe and worship. Well, the church was a traditional Baptist. And there was always conflict. They didn't mind that we were introducing new praise and worship choruses instead of singing the hymns. They didn't mind that he brought in uh, an electronic keyboard instead of using the piano and the organ. But they did mind when he started doing things, you know, uh, talking that, that, that word of faith stuff, what they used to say. We don't do that here. That was the conflict. He never got, he never fully tried to get the identity of the church and make it secure, make them secure in their identity before uh, allowing change to occur. And as I've learned, and because you know, going from church to church, I, I've learned because I pastor churches that've been, you know, hundreds of years old, hundred not hundreds, but you know, over a hundred years old, decades old before I even get there. 
And not only that, but I've had one church I pastored that was an original, a member, a founding member was still alive. And I had to minister to that founding member of that church. As to, And I was in my 20s. As being able to reach to him. He had the history of the church. He knew it verbatim. He could tell you a drop of dime. And there was no way he was going to allow this little boy to come in and try to change the identity of that church because their boy thought he was a good preacher. So I had to learn him. So, you know, get, get familiar. And this is really critical, really critical. Uh, and uh, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <Bad> the Blooming. <laughs> Y'all forgive me. I massacred it. This is the last thing he says, number four. He And this is really critical, and I've said this before, but create an emergency succession plan. Nobody expects the pastor to die. Nobody expects the pastor to get sick. When I was appointed to New Bethel Church here, the pastor before me was appointed. And just weeks after he had been appointed uh, to the second year, it was going into the second year, he fell deathly ill. I mean, he got sick. And he was not able to preach. He was not able to do anything. And the bishop did not immediately appoint a new pastor. They uh, and instead they they uh, sent a retired pastor to kind of just lead the church on, uh, preach and whatever. But uh, even you know we in African Methodism we don't have a written succession plan. It's simply and, and I've had to experience this: a preacher dies, and I never forget this. <laughs> a preacher died. We were at the funeral for the preacher. And the bishop calls all the preachers who were present at the funeral, and and he has appointments in his hand that he had done. And I'm at a funeral for the pastor, and the bishop hands me an appointment to the church that the pastor had just finished, you know, the, the pastor, the deceased pastor. And I had become the new pastor of that church. I had to follow him. That wasn't an easy task at all. It wasn't easy, uh, especially because it happened at a funeral. But... For those churches that are congregational, it's very clear, it's very, it's very critical that you have some type of plan in place for secession in case the pastor gets deathly ill. That the persons, the you know, the associate ministers know how to carry on. They know what to do. Uh, or if the you know if there's a resignation or if there's a death. Uh, or in the case of a moral crisis, you know, if the pastor has to step down. For something inappropriate, what is what do you have in place? That's a succession, uh, an emergency succession plan. Um, how are you going about do it? What do you want to do? You know, that needs to be written down. That needs to be available to the entire membership and not just the leadership team. Everybody in the church needs to be aware. And of course, in the larger churches, that's probably not possible. But everybody needs to be aware. Of that, that there's a policy in place, so nobody would be scheming trying to get their cousin, who think he a high-profile preacher, to the church, or nobody, uh, as in the case of when Zachary Timms died, and there are several other uh, high-profile cases where pastors died, and there was no succession plan. In the case of Zachary Timms out of Florida, 
You know, he died from a, a drug overdose. But there were people vying for that pulpit. And eventually, Paula White, uh, who had a successful church up the road, decided that she'd give up her church for something better, which she thought he uh, was, New Destiny uh, Church, where exactly Tim's pastor. And then there's the case of um, Jericho uh, Baptist Church in uh, Maryland area, in the DMV, the Maryland area, where uh, Apostle Betty Peoples and her husband, uh, her husband was the pastor, and he, he got elevated to bishop, and uh, he, he, she shared a ministry with him, and when he passed, the secession plan went to her. She became the pastor, and she had a son who was all two sons who were both in ministry. When one son passed uh, before she passed, before she died, where the other son had taken on that administrative role while she was still past, pastoring the church. When she got ill, that son took on the leadership role, and when she died, infighting happened where folk just kicked him out of the church, literally. It went in litigation. <laughs> it went to court. And the court ruled one way, but the people found it started another way, and and several pastors intervened. And in the enemy church, we have this policy where we cannot intervene in the affairs of the church. The the bishop can't intervene in the affairs of another bishop's district. Presiding elder can't intervene in the affairs of another presiding elder's district unless you know they invite them to. But we can't just meddle. But you know there was a case where these pastors were meddling, and eventually Bishop T D Jakes. Somehow got into it and placed a new pastor there at Jericho Baptist Church or Jericho City of Praise, whatever they call it. Um, so she thought uh, Dr. Jazz. I can't remember her full name. I know it was Jasmine something, but but that they, she's popularly known as Dr. Jazz. She's the, she was just recently installed as the new pastor there. But there's still still a deep breach from that mega church. The division the and the split. After the the death of Apostle uh, Betty Peoples, is still ongoing. Even though there's a newly elected and appointed and installed pastor there, uh, the the schism is still deep. So, pastors, I want to encourage you. If you're listening, laypersons, if you are listening, go to your pastor and ask them. Do you have a plan in place if something happened to you? Who? How? What do you want us to do? How should we carry about? Do we have elections? Is there a process in our bylaws, in our constitution of bylaws, is there a process for us to find a new pastor? And like I said, because we're Episcopal, we don't have that problem. That's great. You know, we just simply get moved. If someone else, if something happens to a pastor, another pastor is appointed there. In some ways that's good, in some ways that's bad. Because even if after a pastor is appointed, you know, to another church, even if they're, you know, it's still the same, it's, it, it leaves the same effect. Matter of fact, my dissertation is about that. My doctoral dissertation is about that. The um, differentiation of self between the pastor and the church that, call, you know, that uh, that happens. Well, not, you know, there, there's an emotional thing tearing away, just like being divorced, even if it's, if it's, if it's a good thing, you know. If in my case, like it was a promotion, but when I got moved to where I am now, uh, my church members, you know, <laughs> it took them a while, it took them a couple of years to to before they got the pastor that they have now that they love more than me. 
<laughs> and I'm happy because he's done a wonderful job. And uh, I'm glad to be able to have let, left a, a great legacy there. But I just wanted to touch that. I think it's critical. Pastors, you need to start thinking. You're not going to be at the church forever. The church is not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's God's people. And you need to be prepared to leave. Yes, I said that. You need to be prepared to leave. You need to have your people prepared for you to leave should anything happen. God forbid. If you're leading in the right way, the people will understand and be ready. You don't want to leave your people hanging or in trouble. Well, I've run out of time. That's it for today, and I appreciate you so much for listening. I thank you all for everything that you've done and supporting again. Uh, if you missed this show, you can catch it on the archive uh, show simply by going on to zero uh, blogtalkradio.com zero today. Catch the pod, iPod, iTunes a podcast. You can download that and listen to it on your own time. Any any of them, all the way back to uh, 2010. But anyway, uh, like us, let us know. Send us an email. Let us know how we did. Uh, suggestions. Show topics, suggestions, whatever it is, we are for it. And thank you again, and um, appreciate. It. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I I was tempted to play <laughs> play the song one more time, but you know what? I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna end it on a good note. <laughs> and so, uh, this is Pastor Neal. Until next week, same time. You all take care. God bless you. Saturday Steel is back with the season's biggest one-day deal. 50% off all jeans, plus kids' tees and girls' tanks and leggings for just $3. One day only this Saturday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 8-5 excludes clearance jeans. $3 deal select styles only. Old Navy's Saturday Steel is back with the season's biggest one-day deal. 50% off all jeans, plus kids' tees and girls' tanks and leggings for just $3. One day only this Saturday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 8-5 excludes clearance jeans. $3 deal select styles only.